Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. Yes, this is the Dale Earnhardt edition of Motorsports Analytics Positive Regression. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith, of course, from motorsportsanalytics.com. David, we are on week three. We are not weeks now. We are days away from cars on the racetrack. And, uh, you know, every day gets a little closer. Every day we get to start talking about it more. Race Hub is back on. It's just, uh, you know, before we know it, some some of the people will be down in Daytona listening to this right now. I hope so. Um, I I can't wait to get there. I have a question for you, Mr. Fox Sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've noticed the, uh, the Daytona 500 promos have sprung up on all the all the Fox platforms and even made their way to some other channels. Um, but a thought occurred to me. With every Daytona 500 promo, we see the 1979 fight between the Allisons and Cale Yarbrough. My question to you is how demoralizing is Speed Weeks for Cale Yarbrough? Because every February, he watches himself get pummeled by the Allisons. You know, piece of history. I don't, I don't know what to say. Well, you know, it's it's one of those super, one of those highlights that uh, in any sport, you know, whether it be from the Super Bowl. Look, I'm a Bills fan. Imagine Scott Norwood and seeing him miss the kick for the rest of his life. I mean, sometimes these things happen and they go into the lore of your sport. Kale has plenty to hang his hat on. Unfortunately, at his lowest point, he got punched in the face and didn't win the Daytona 500. You know, it happens. But uh, that, that's what's part of the lore of the race. <laughs> there's one thing that we love in racing. It's nostalgia. So that's not going anywhere, believe me. No matter who has the Daytona 500, Fox has it for a long time. That's not going to go anywhere ever. I promise you. I need one of our listeners to mock up uh, just, just, just a graph that shows exponential regret that Kale has, has taken on over the years because every, every February without fail. Uh, speaking of nostalgia, you brought up Kale. I just want to I want to get just your thoughts because we just had the Hall of Fame induction, one of the the coolest classes in a long time, especially for someone my age, age thirty six. You know, we're right around the same age, growing up in the nineties. You were a Davy Allison fan, so I got to see Rusty go in. What was that like being there to see Davy go in? Uh, wow, it it was uh, pretty powerful. Um, I actually uh, was able to speak with Robbie Allison, Davy's son, uh, before he went up on stage and inducted his dad. And uh, I, I can't imagine what it was like for him to just have a whole day and, and probably in the days leading up to it of being inundated by well-wishers and people that were so integral to Davy's career, just a, a, a natural talent. And we never saw uh, his prime. Uh, we don't really know what the ceiling would have been for him, but it, it, despite all that, to see him inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame for me, he it was just he was this pivotal figure uh, in racing. He was my favorite uh, driver. He was my last favorite driver. I haven't had a favorite since Davy. Um, so to to see him get inducted, it was it was kind of like. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like watching a a favorite driver get a win. I, I just I haven't felt like that in a while about uh, anything NASCAR because while I do enjoy the sport and I cover it for my job, um, I don't really have a rooting interest. But that night I did. Uh, I attended uh, the ceremony with my dad, and my dad worked with Jim Hunter for over uh, wow. thirty years, and and he got to see um, his friend uh, uh, posthumously inducted uh, via the Landmark Award um, for contributions to the sport. So to see 
Anne Hunter and Scott Hunter and the grandchildren was uh, a really cool thing and got to listen to some some great speeches, uh, some fantastic moments. Uh, I, I, I learned that Jeff Gordon was uh, his childhood hero was Ken Schrader. I didn't know that. That's that's something that's something I learned. Um, but uh, seeing him and Roger Penske and Jack Roush uh, be inducted and to hear a little bit of Alan Kowicki's story. It was it was a great night. I'm happy I attended. It was the first one I ever attended and it was uh, well worth the wait. Awesome. Well, I encourage anyone to, to check that out, especially when the history is so uh, relatively young and going into the Hall of Fame. Well, we got uh, some good stories for years to come going in to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. But back to the mission at hand. Last week on, on uh, here on Positive Regression, we started our uh, our pre our, uh, sort of a 2019 preview, uh, looking at and making our predictions uh, about organizations. We hear the rules, right? We we picked one person, one uh, whether it be driver, crew chief, whoever one person from an organization and made a prediction. Last week, we got half of the, the Cup Series done, and this week, we're going to continue. And David, I bragged a little bit on Twitter. You know, some people will only predict, like, you know, who's going to win the championship or how many races. Meanwhile, we are predicting things like the number of top 15 finishes for Ryan Priest. And so we're going deep. We're going deep on positive regression, and that's the kind of stuff we want to bring here. So continuing it, uh, starting off this episode, anyway, we are picking up with Team Penske, the defending champions, uh, home to three really good drivers, Joey Logano, Brad Kozlowski, both champions, and Ryan Blaney, a budding young star, of course. And I- I'm starting off at the top. I'm starting off with the defending champion, Joey Logano, as my person from Team Penske. And my prediction is uh, simple. Joey Logano wins the Daytona 500. And I think that's an easy pick, to be honest, because... Uh, a lot of these restrictor plate races, there's still this notion out there with some of these people that think that it is a crapshoot or that it is somehow the skill of the driver isn't as important at these races as it is other tracks. I think that is BS. I think there are some clearly skilled drivers and that cream rises to the top. And Joey Logano is one of them. And he's won the Daytona 500 before. And I think there is just this notion of you have to be there at the end to be able to pounce on it. Well, David, in f- f- what is the stat? Six or better in the last four Daytona 500s. He is there at the end. He is there at the end to capitalize. He is there at the end to use his good restart prowess. And remember, the Fords were fast in Talladega last year. At the end, he won at Talladega last year. There's so much going for them. They have the same exact package they're bringing back to Daytona. Joey Logano wins the Daytona 500, starts the year outright, puts himself right back in the playoff. Vegas agrees with you, sort of. Uh, Joey Logano currently nine to one odds, according to sportsbook.com, uh, second only to another Penske driver, Brad Keselowski at eight to one. I pick Joey Logano. Who are you going with? Uh, Brad Keselowski made a move to change spotters from Joey Meyer to Coleman Presley, and I found this quite interesting, Alan. Uh, Coleman was the spotter for AJ Allmendinger in 2018, and he was on the roof spotting for Allmendinger when he won the All-Star Showdown race that featured the uh, the inspiration for the current rules package that we have in 2019. I don't think that's the only reason why Keselowski chose him as his new spotter. However, I don't think that accolade was lost on the driver. Uh, Consider Brad Keselowski last year, there were five races at Bristol, at Talladega, at Daytona, the Charlotte Roval race and Talladega again, 
in which he led at least 5% of the event's total laps, but failed to finish in the top half of the field five times. Dating back to 2002, no driver has pulled off such an auspicious feat. Uh, that makes him a clear candidate for positive regression in 2019. And I believe a new spotter can help clean up those those drafting track races. Uh, my prediction, Brad Kozlowski will not only double his 2018 win total, uh, which was three. So I'm, wow. I'm, I'm suggesting six victories uh, for the driver of the number two Ford. But one of those wins will include a victory on a drafting track. Um, I don't know. I don't want to conflict with you, so I won't say the Daytona 500. It'll be one <laughs> of the other three. That's one of that. That's one that has eluded Mr. Kislowski, and and uh, certainly one of the best drivers to have never won the Daytona 500. Another a list you do not want to be on. So we are both predicting big things for Team Penske this year, probably as we should when you look when you look back at the numbers. Uh, next up, Richard Childress Racing, a team going through transition, uh, bringing in a rookie driver, switching up some crew chiefs, uh, contracting a little bit on the Xfinity side. Uh, a lot of things going on there. David, where are you looking as an organization at Richard Childress Racing for 2019? I'll, I will bite on the rookie driver. Uh, uh, Daniel Hemrick is an interesting case to me. Uh, Hemrick's detractors will point to his lack of Xfinity series or truck series wins as proof for why he can't possibly hack it in the cup series. Uh, Alan, I want our listeners to know that wins at any level are not the gold standard in which drivers should be evaluated. Uh, if we want to take into consideration his production and equal equipment rating last year, Hemrick ranked third among Xfinity regulars, trailing only Christopher Bell and Justin Allgaier. Allgaier, of course, is a former cup driver. Um, he ranked higher than Cole Custer, Ross Chastain, John Hunter Nemechek, Spencer Gallagher, Ryan Priest, and Chase Briscoe, all of whom won Xfinity Series races in 2018. Um, folks, wins are for the record books, not for evaluation. Uh, I, I think I, I gave Hemrick the due diligence in my transaction analysis piece uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, I created a track position radar chart for Hemrick, and it shows that he's an instant upgrade over Ryan Newman as a passer on one-mile tracks, a passer on intermediate tracks, and as a preferred groove restarter on all tracks. And from where I sit, I, I believe this gives Luke Lambert, his crew chief, uh, one of the most pit strategy centric crew chiefs in the NASCAR garage, a little bit more wiggle room. Uh, I didn't feel like Lambert had uh, enough breathing room. He didn't have uh, uh, any cushion to make some mistakes uh, when he had Ryan Newman behind the wheel. He has a rookie driver. It, it, this isn't going to be a totally smooth transition, but I think he's got a little more comfort. And I think with the, the closer proximity, we're going to see the, this rule package provide. Lambert has some things to play with this year. I think this number eight team uh, is going to be a little bit more interesting than people uh, think. Um, here, here's just a wild thought, Alan. Is, Hen is Henrik the best driver that Lambert has ever had at his disposal? Uh, consider 
uh, Lambert did work with Jeff Burton, but Burton was uh, late stages of his career. Uh, Lambert captured four Xfinity race wins in one season as Elliott Sadler's crew chief. And he nearly won the Cup Series championship in 2014 with Ryan Newman with that uh, late run at Homestead. It's not clear what kind of full-time Cup driver Hemrick is going to become, but I would argue this is this might be the most upside Luke Lambert has ever been dealt. My prediction, I'm going to pick upside. Hemrick will average a finish better than 17.2, which was Ryan Newman's average finish for this team in 2018. Uh, I don't know what it'll be, but he will, he will fare better than Newman did for this program last year. I need to promise our listeners, we didn't. you and I did not compare notes because... <laughs> I am also focusing my uh, prediction on Daniel Hemrick, and I'll Good. agree with you yes. on, on, on the upside side of this. Uh, to, to, before he's even taken a you know a green flag in a cup race, I know he has a few, but uh, to put him uh, above or near Jeff Burton or Ryan Newman, I'm not going there yet. But certainly upside, someone that can be molded, someone that can learn, and they can learn together and grow together. That I will give you. Uh, you another point you brought. Up, I mean, wins that get all the attention. You look back at RCR last year. Austin Dillon gets the win early. Obviously, the first race of the season puts him in the uh, in the playoff, which guarantees him a, a better, a much better points finish than than maybe you know speed or finishes would give you because you're you're obviously in the top sixteen. But when you look back on it, Newman's season it became an afterthought. But he had more top tens than Austin Dillon. Newman had nine. Austin Dillon had eight in the thirty one car. The thirty one car was faster. Uh, one problem Ryan Newman had is none of those nine top tens ever translated into a top five. They were, you know, sixth through tenth. They ended up being. So all the points you brought up, Lambert, a good strategist. He can help deliver those positions. Hemrick is a good passer, especially on the mile and a half tracks, uh, the bread and butter of the uh, Cup Series. Uh, so I, I did the kind of the same exact thing you did. I compared Ryan Newman's uh, stat sheet last year with what I predict Daniel Hemrick to have. I predict Daniel Hemrick will have the same number of top tens with nine, but have one top five to go along with it. One of those top tens will be a top five, and we see him at the front more than we saw the 31 last year. By the front, I mean, you know, top 15, top half of the field, at least relevancy. I think the eight team slash 31 from last year is more relevant with their top tens and performance this year with Daniel Hemrick behind the wheel. I like the pairing. I want to see where it goes, especially with the new arrow package. I, and, and yes, and, and we're in obvious agreement. Um, the 31 team was the second worst closing team of 2018. They averaged a 2.1 position loss in the red zone. That needs to be cleaned up. Um, it, Are you that's, saying it's an opportunity for? For Daniel Hemrick, for sure. For positive I mean, regression. <laughs> for... We need a dinger. We need a sound effect. That's an opportunity for positive regression. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that should have been a like sound effect or something. I, I know. I'm 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 asleep at the the keyboard here. But um, there's to me that's an opportunity that they can clean up. It also says that they were better last year than the ends of races showed. And when you talk about that lack of depth in their their top 10 outings, um, it can kind of point to the fact that just at the end of races, they just, man, they, they could barely keep their position. Um, maybe Hemrick is a little bit more feisty uh, for Luke Lambert and that bunch this year. Yes. And don't forget, he is still a rookie. This is supposed to be hard. So I expect rookies to struggle. That's why I did not predict him to be 
better or more improved than Ryan Newman's output last year. Speaking of a rookie last year, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports had a rookie driver, Bubba Wallace. And again, we're picking one person from the organization. Not, not, not much to pick from in the organization, Richard Petty Motorsports. It's, it's one team. Bubba Wallace has a new crew chief. But David, my focus uh, will go on Bubba Wallace because I, I think he is someone who has a lot of potential, has shown signs. Uh, maybe one of those drivers you can put in on a team that is, uh, he is outperforming the equipment or there is more potential there than the equipment under him and that the opportunities he is given in it. Um, uh, my, my early prediction is like he finished 28th in points last year. I predict a top 25 finish in the points for Bubba Wallace this year with at least five top tens, which is up from three. Uh, I, I would like to predict a little more. I, I believe in Bubba Wallace's talent. I believe in his improvement. He'll be age 25 for a majority of this year, which you can learn on motorsports analytics is a traditional uptick in performance for drivers, the age 25 year. So I would expect all those things to be there for him to have a good year and to improve. I just don't know if the team can deliver the car that can do it for him, David. And that's what holds me back from predicting a little more. Uh, again, going in Bubba Wallace's favor, uh, there wasn't much to look at last year. But he, he is a good restarter. He, he ranks up there in both the preferred groove and non-preferred groove. If you can get him up in those first top seven rows where you measure uh, restarts and how good you are at those, he, he has an ability to stay up there. It's just a matter of the team being able to get him up there, at least in my feeling. So I think Bubba Wallace improves but he can only do so much in the 43 car. It's my opinion that this is the most incompetent team uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series. Six lead lap finishes for this bunch in 2018. Two weeks ago, uh, their crew chief from last year, Drew Blickensdurfer, uh, left for Front Row Motorsports, which should be said is a team that brings backup cars to Talladega. Um and apparently he left RPM sort of high and dry uh, because they weren't prepared for it. They Yes, I can tell you took uh, some higher ups there and some significant people at RPM took them by surprise to suddenly not have Drew Blickensdurfer there anymore. Yeah, and it, and it took two weeks for them to figure out that uh, his replacement was there all along. They're promoting an engineer um, who might turn out to be a good crew chief, but uh, just the optics of how that situation was handled uh, suggests that there isn't a large vote of confidence at all. You can assume that they probably tried to land a, a veteran crew chief and uh, people listening either didn't like what RPM had to say or didn't think uh, uh, enough money was on the table to to become Bubba's crew chief. Um, Bubba's my pick as well, Alan. Um, and, and I'll, I'll sing his praises, uh, on, on his restarting prowess, uh, just like you did. Uh, he, he was one of just 11 drivers to retain position on 80% of his preferred groove restarts from the first seven rows. He was one of just seven drivers to retain position on 54% of his non-preferred groove restarts. He's the only driver to accomplish both of those feats with a car ranked outside the top 20 in central speed. Yeah, 26 so, last year. So not, not a big sample size that we're talking about because he wasn't uh, in the first seven rows often, but it seems that we have 
the beginnings of a restart specialist on our hands. And I know that there is some volatility about uh, young Mr. Wallace on social media, maybe fans feeling he's overrated. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you can do one thing at an elite level in the Cup Series, that is staying power, my friend. That is, he, he, he can do this. He belongs in this series. His production, we're not going to point to that right now. It wasn't good last year. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you from looking it up. But if we can home in on the one thing that makes him a viable cup driver moving forward, it's his ability to restart. And in the stage racing era, that is a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, I agree with you. Uh, I don't know that the team has the ability to capitalize on its driver's biggest strength. Uh, my prediction, not rosy at all. He signed through uh, the year 2020, signed an extension last year. I don't think he'll see another year uh, uh, with RPM. I believe wow. Bubba Wallace will have a new home in the year 2020. And uh, you, look, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully that they're they're able to help realize uh, some of what Wallace brings to the table. Um, if not, I think it's time to move on and uh, see if there is something better on the horizon. At some point, we talked about it last week with with uh, NBA players kind of demanding trades. Uh, you you owe it to yourself. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit selfish, but I hope it doesn't get there for Bubba and RPM. But when you have a shelf life as a young driver and uh, often opinions turning on someone who, who who isn't getting the finishes, that that's what people focus on, even though they shouldn't, if, especially if they go deep dives into things. Uh, sometimes there's a shelf life. So uh, that, that is an interesting prediction for you, David. Uh, moving on, Fen Roush Fenway Racing, another team. We just talked about RPM, Roush Fenway, another team going through uh, transition with more changes, bringing on, uh, remember last year they kind of got rid of Trevor Bain midway through the season. He, you know, he, he was in and out throughout the season, but they brought in Matt Kenseth to supplant him for 15 races. Um, and now they have, uh, Matt Kenseth has retired once again, and Ryan Newman has joined the fold. What does that mean for Roush Fenway Racing when you're making a prediction? Who are you focusing on in that organization? My person of interest uh, for Roush Fenway Racing is John Henry. He is the Fenway in Roush Fenway. He is also the owner of the Boston Red Sox uh, and the Liverpool Football Club uh, in the English Premier League. Uh, this this guy fascinates me. He, he, he talks a big game about applying... Um, Moneyball principles to his his teams. He once famously tried to hire Billy Bean. I, I, that was depicted in the Moneyball movie. Um, he he actually uh, did uh, bring on Billy Bean as a consultant for his football club. Um, and there was there's a really good article um, this summer in the uh, Wall Street Journal. It kind of read like an Onion article, but but John Henry admitted, he said like, oh yeah, you know, being frugal and, and trying to find market inefficiencies in, in soccer, yeah, it really doesn't work. We learned that spending a lot of money is, is the best way to succeed. And, and yeah, lo and behold, they, they spent more money than, than any team in England last year and they're first in the standings um, this year. Huh, fancy that. Now... John Henry and Jack Roush uh, have spent a lot of money 
on Roush Fenway Racing. It is it is very difficult to see where the money is going if you're looking at the results sheet. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse, though, has averaged one crash every two races uh, across the last 36 races. That was the worst crash frequency in the Cup Series last year. Uh, that drives up cost. Matt Kenseth, for 15 races, uh, according to a source, cost a high seven-figure number. Very interesting. He did score more lead lap finishes than Richard Petty Motorsports uh, did across 36 races, oh um, but not not clear if uh, Roush Fenway earned their money with that one. Money is being spent. It's not clear that they're making revenue. Certainly is clear that they are not efficient with their spending. So um, my question, where is John Henry? Where is the Fenway magic touch? Why are they not trying to be more efficient with their spending? How active is John Henry anyway? And and furthermore, reports surfaced late last year that John Henry may be interested in purchasing a stake in NASCAR. I don't know what that means for his involvement with the team. Um, certainly conflicts of interest have never stopped anyone in our industry, but I would say this seems like a pretty big one. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it feels to me that there is an absence of a vision at Roush Fenway Racing. Ryan Newman, we talked about on episode one, an odd choice uh, at the very least. Uh, he's a stopgap to something to which we're not aware. Um, I, I, I don't really know where this, uh, this program is going. My prediction is we're going to see a repeat of 2018 in which both the number six and the number 17 teams will miss the playoffs completely. That'll be a second year in a row for that. Yep. Um, I'm not picking John Henry, but I am looking at, yeah, at the new guy, Ryan Newman. Um, just looking back at last year again, it's like with RPM, where is the, the speed, where is the performance going to come from regardless of who is driving the car? I just don't see where the improvement it's going to come in to at the moment. And one thing I look to is look, remember the aero package and everything that's changing this year. Roush has struggled with change dating all the way back to the car of tomorrow. This is something that we've seen time and again with each transition. They are not leading the pack on any of this. And so with change, I worry they may even get further back. Um, so Ryan Newman, I, I think over the course of a season can, you know, be an improvement for the six team, pair him with the new crew chief. We've talked about that before on earlier episodes, I think on episode one, what that pairing may be able to do, uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a rosy prediction by any means, but you take what Matt Kenseth did last year in 15 races, two top tens in that six car. If you extrapolate that, uh, over a full season, you know, you're talking between what, between four and five top tens. Uh, I don't think Ryan Newman does much better than that. Uh, so what five or fewer top 10 finishes for Ryan Newman in 2019, uh, that may be a safe bet, David. You just extrapolated on the Positive Regression podcast. I, we're we're going to make a, uh, a stat head out of you at uh, some point this year. You're, you're going to be you're going to be dropping numbers on Truck Series uh, telecast, I'm sure. But I cannot um, wait. You, you made a very good point about their aversion to change. Um, actually, what uh, you mentioned the COT, I think back as far as the testing ban, the original one, um, 
they really struggled. This, this was a uh, this was a program that thrived on testing, uh, as did uh, as did RCR. And I remember that they also had some struggles, but I, I believe they were going through some expansion or contraction during that time. Roush is as a program not an early adopter of anything. Um, so yeah. New rules package. I I don't know that that means e- more. I don't know that more parity is optimism for them. Just because the the specter of something new uh, seems to seems to always doom them. I hear you, and look, we might be looking at a case where the best chance to win a race all year is the Daytona 500. So hey, you never know. We've seen Ricky Stenhouse do it before. Good plate racer, uh, but it may be a rough season if they don't get the the four narrow package figured out real quick. Uh, last one. We've uh, we've been through all the teams in uh, or just about all the big teams in uh, NASCAR so far, and maybe we're ending with the biggest and brightest uh, with most potential for 2019? Question mark. I don't know. Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, a lot to choose from here. Obviously, they have Kevin Harvick. They have Clint Boyer. Kurt Busch has moved on. Eric Almirola showed so much promise and potential and, and won a race last year and went deep into the playoffs. A lot of positives for Stuart Haas Racing. I don't see that team going anywhere. Uh, what I do see is, is a bit of regression. Uh, let's. The show is called Positive Regression. We're just going to call this a little bit of regression. When I look at the, the number of laps led, we're gonna, I'm going to focus on Kevin Harvick here. Uh, the number of laps led for Kevin in eight races, his eight wins last year, he led 1,990 laps. Just a few years ago, he topped 2,000 laps led two years in a row. I mean, this is a guy who thrives on speed, dominates races. Uh, this is why who Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick, the team they want to be, go out there, be the fastest, dominate races, get the wins. That's what they do. But I just believe we were just talking about parity. I think this new aero package, I think it just – it doesn't allow for the domination in terms of laps led that we saw last year. So my crazy prediction, Kevin Harvick does not pass the 1,400 laps led mark this season. That's 500 fewer laps led, but I think he will still have a dominant season and be up there competing for the title, just not as many laps led due to the new aero package. We agree on regression. Uh, My reasoning is different. My person of interest is Rodney Childers, uh, crew chief for Kevin Harvick. Uh, he's he's guided that number four team. Uh, that that has been the fastest car in the sport of stock car racing in four of the last five seasons. And in the outlier season, it ranked second. Last year, he proved that he's not just a Monday through Thursday guy. Uh, his pit strategy was sound. Teams are uh, relinquishing top five running positions during green flag pit cycles, average a 50% retention. Childers was able to defend Harvick's running spot uh, a little over 64% of the time. The issue this year may be the driver. Uh, He hits age 43 this year. A decline in performance is coming. We don't know when exactly. All drivers are different. We can make some educated guesses, though. Uh, I I question if this program can stay viable for another year. It strikes me Harvick might retire sooner than later. And if Childers remains, he could be the selling point to a marquee free agent. So the, the challenge will be keeping this number four team at the front of the field, despite the driver's 
eventual decline due to age, uh, and possibly by what you said, just based on the new rules package, my prediction is that Rodney Childers' pit strategy numbers will actually improve, while simultaneously his speed output will regress. All right. I like it. I like it. We have now been through each organization in the Cup Series. And uh, certainly, if I get one right or it looks like I'm trending right, I I am going to brag about that in the future. If I don't, uh, I'm going to rely on everyone else to call it out because I'm never going to bring this up again, David. If I get one wrong, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it will it will be fun to to revisit it. I mean, we I don't think any uh, we haven't made any bold uh, predictions. Uh, I, at least I don't think. Um, I, I think they're uh, they feel realistic. Uh, I do want to revisit them and uh, and see how close we were. Deal. Can't wait to look at it again. And we'll get our first look at it. I mean, this weekend, Speed Weeks are here. Uh, David, I know you'll be down there. I'm going down there, depending on when you listen to this. But, I mean, we the TV people, we fly out Friday. We got to be there on Saturday. Every Cars are on track on Saturday. I know you're from down there, David, so maybe it's a bit of a tradition. But is there uh, how do you Speed Weeks, if you will? You know, or is there anything you, are there any must-dos down there when you get back for, the, for these two weeks down in Daytona and Florida? Yeah, uh, let's see. When I was in my 20s, uh, I would be at a different racetrack every night. And and the beauty of uh, just being in Florida for not just Speed Weeks at, at Daytona International Speedway, uh, there, there's your Speed Weeks can take any shape you want. If you're willing to drive two hours in any direction, you can see a different form of racing every every night every weeknight um i've done the usac uh races at uh, at the bubba raceway park i have uh, been to the legend car winter nationals i'm not going to do those two this year i'm sticking between daytona and new smyrna speedway uh for their world series of asphalt it's always a tremendous event uh, different genres of racing. There will be two late model classes. You will see the Wheelan Tour modifieds. Uh, there will be a KN and East race Sunday night. So you can see prospects. You can see short track veterans. Um, you can see a lot of racing for a very good cost. So if you're in town, I uh, actually not only encourage you to go buy a ticket at New Smyrna Speedway, but I'll invite you to sit with me for uh, for some of the night's features. I'll um, I don't know. I'll tweet a picture of myself wearing a funny hat or something, <laughs> and, and tell you where I'm sitting. And if you want to converse about NASCAR or maybe learn some uh, some scouting tips and tricks, uh, I'm I'm happy to to have a conversation and have you uh, have you enjoy the race with me. It's it's a it's a fun time um, being at new Smyrna, but the big track, I'll see you there. Uh, I'll bounce back and forth. Certainly we'll take in the duels. Uh, as you said, I'm from there. Uh, the, the, what used to be the Gatorade twins, Alan used to be a holiday for all the schools in the Daytona area because, uh, the traffic was too much for, for school bus planning. So this literally was a NASCAR holiday. It meant a lot to me growing up. Unfortunately, Racing got moved tonight. People want to watch it on TV, so that's uh, that doesn't exist for the school kids. But it's still a still a really good time to see a lot of racing. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Especially, you know, it's like we hibernate in the winter, and then Speed Weeks is the introduction. I encourage everyone to get down there. Uh, I, I look, I like Daytona. Uh, in some ways, David, it, it's sort of a time capsule for the early 2000s, especially down at the beach, uh, the t-shirt shops, and uh, uh, it's just a good reminder of, of the, the power NASCAR once had and the popularity, which is I hope comes back, especially during the season. But we love staying down there on the beach. Uh, one of my favorite things is there's a restaurant called the North Turn which is literally the, the north turn of what was the beach course. Great place to sit on a deck and get lunch. And also, uh, I traditionally try to... Uh I try to maintain my fitness, but I will, I run the, the beach course and it's about four, a little over four miles. And so I try to maintain a, a good pace out there. And at some point during speed weeks, I get out there. So there are more things to do if you get away from the racetrack, but, um, quickly, uh, on the cup side, who do you think can shine during the two, uh, you know, there's, there's two weeks of racing on the cup side. Who do you think shines during speed weeks? I think I had the answer to this question as I was leaving Daytona last February. Um, Ryan Blaney just strikes me as this, I don't know, this obvious, interesting choice. Uh, he was the second fastest driver in the 2017 Daytona 500 per central speed. Uh, in 2018, he was the fastest driver uh, and he won a dual race. Um, he's really coming into his own as a, a drafting track driver. Um, he has an ability to go horizontal. Uh, Denny Hamlin's really good at that. We've seen Brad Keselowski uh, do that. Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, without question, one of the greatest I've ever seen, um, be able to switch lanes at a moment's notice. But Ryan Blaney has showcased in practice sessions, in dual races, um, and even in the 500 last year, he led the most laps, uh, that he has the wherewithal to, to dominate this race. And, and look, I mean, these plate races don't typically cater to, to the dominators, but, but if someone's going to overcome that, it might be Blaney. And I, I'm Alan, I'm, I'm not a betting man. Uh, you and I both have NASCAR hard cards. So there are, there are new rules that say we can't be betting men. Um, but Blaney opened as a 15 to one favorite uh, for the Daytona 500 victory. That's the ninth best odds for a driver that has been very, very fast in the last two Daytona 500s. I, I think I see a chasm that maybe some people need to take advantage of. Not bad, not bad. I'm going with Chase Elliott, uh, Mr. Popular, coming off uh, his first official Most Popular Driver Award and a career year, obviously, three wins coming into his own. Chase Elliott and the Hendrick program, they always show up on Sunday, right? They, they have no problem qualifying. Uh, Chase Elliott has led laps in all his Daytona 500 starts, but then he, he's never finished better than 14th at Daytona. Uh, again, I'm going to ring the bell again, positive regression. I think this is the year, maybe not the win, but at some point, Chase Elliott has to be able to use the speed, execute with the speed and find himself toward the front of the field at the end of one of these restrictor plate races. Uh, I, I think it starts in Daytona. I think it starts in qualifying in the clash. And, uh, I think he can carry it through to Sunday at the checkered flag. It, it's Chase Elliott's year to at least show he's not going to, you know, crap the bed at the end of the Daytona 500. That's someone I'm looking at over the course of speed weeks. 
I, I think that will be a very good pick. We've seen him impress in the dual races. Uh, would like to see him put it together in Sunday. 500 miles at Daytona, though, is not for the fan at heart. And uh, he's he's just going to have to put a full race together. Um, we know the fans are on his side. And you're right. H- Hendrick brings fast race cars uh, to Daytona, to, to both play at tracks. Um, I don't know. Is he is he a favorite for the pole in your eyes? Can oh, we? It have, can to, we, it we, have we, to be. Whether it, yeah, be, so, whether it be Hendrick Speed or just uh, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, but they call it, you know what the Dale the Earnhardt plate, the whatever restrictor plate ends up on a, a certainly popular driver who ends up on the pole. Uh, sometimes it happens, guys. You know, sometimes it happens. Whether it's the Hendrick Speed or the Earnhardt plate, whatever you believe in, you conspiracy theorists. I think Chase Elliott is absolutely a threat for the pole down in Daytona. And before we close out, just take it in, everybody. This may be the last restrictor plate race ever in the Cup Series as they move on to the tapered spacer after this. This has been Positive Regression. Of course, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Podbean. We have all your devices covered. Regardless of where you get your Positive Regression fix, if you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or a review. That helps the podcast gain some visibility. Your help in spreading the word is appreciated. Certainly love all the feedback. Over the first two weeks, we've answered a lot of questions. Uh, People have brought up some great observations. You gotta love that. Uh, Beyond this, Race Hub is back. Race Hub is back on the air with a state-of-the-art brand new studio. It looks awesome every night at 6 p.m. I leave for Daytona and we will be back on the track all day on FS1 on Saturday. So I'll be down there uh, during the Race Hubs for Saturday. You'll see some new faces on your television and then uh, it's off from there. We got qualifying everything on Fox, you know, for the next, what, uh, till till July. So just tune into there. But starting Saturday, everything on track. It's awesome, David. What do you got up? Uh, I will be posting to motorsportsanalytics.com. I'm going to have a few different previews. I don't know what form they're going to take. So stay, so stay tuned. I know what I want to discuss. Um, and I think it will be uh, beneficial to readers and those uh, maybe looking to gain some knowledge in advance of the 2019 Daytona 500. Well, we are looking forward to that. And with that, episode three is in the books. Keep us honest, guys. Keep us honest on all our predictions throughout the year. Look forward to next week. This has been Positive Regression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Cavana. We'll see you in big Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.